Welcome back to the OWASP podcast, and yes, it's Matt Tassaro as your host. In this episode, I talk with Wirefall, a pen tester like few others because of his 26 years of experience. Beyond his pen test work, Wirefall started and grew a local security community to a surprising degree. Wirefall speaks about starting and growing a community, in this case Dallas Hackers Association, also known as DHA, the lessons he learned, the challenges DHA faced along the way to its current thriving state. Astute listeners may pick up on the fact that I've known Wirefall for many years, dating back to pen testing engagements we worked together, but this episode is much more than just some old friends catching up. And just a quick note, this was my first remote recording. I believe I got the audio just right, but for those with better hearing than me, I apologize for any sound issues, sound quality issues. Enjoy! I am here with Wirefall, a good friend of mine for a long time, pen tester for even longer. Wirefall, before we get started into the topic I want to discuss, can you give some background for people who might not be familiar with you, you Wirefall? <laughs> sure. Yeah, I've been involved with penetration testing. I, I, I was my first paid penetration test. Got to differentiate between. Yeah, pro bono. Pro work. bono pen testing and, and paid. The first paid one was in 1996, so wow. 26 years ago. Things have definitely changed a lot. Yes. So then what you see pen testing is mildly different today than in 96. Oh yeah, there's that, there's actually an industry, there's tools, there's, <laughs> <laughs> there, there's people that go by like in real life names instead of wirefall. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Excellent. So one of the reasons I wanted to have you here, besides the fact that we can probably tell some wonderful pen testing horror stories, is that even just ones that we spent together. Oh, oh yeah, that's true too. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We we got some doozies. Um, that you have of late. This is a kind of a more recent thing for you. Started a community in the Dallas area called Dallas Hacker Association, kind of modeled on AHA, which was the Austin Hacker Association, and I think. Not honest. Oh, not My bad. Thank you. <laughs> Keeping me honest. I love it. But so you have DHA, and that community has been very, I think, successful. And I think you would say so. Can you? I would love to hear what was the impetus. What got you started with DHA? What was the spark? Sure. Well, definitely, I did not have community in the beginning. When I started, there really weren't a lot of people doing what I was doing. There were zines, you had you know, your frack and that kind of stuff, but I wasn't part of the bulletin board scene. I wasn't part of any of that. I mean, I'd been involved with computers since like 82, but just really wasn't into the scene. And then when the military got completely out of it and came back and then just started learning and focusing on what I could learn, didn't get involved with community until I moved from the Northwest down to Dallas in 1999. And now I'm in a completely different place, no support system, no family, no friends, no anything. And my career's really just started out at almost 30 years old. And it's really starting to take shape of where I think it's going to go. And uh, didn't go anywhere near that direction. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, uh, so I started getting more involved in the community. At that time, my, my handle, Wirefall, is kind of a joke of a spoonerism of firewall. Thanks. But also the fall of wires. My background was wireless, radio technician in the military. Things were going, everything was going wireless. 
and there was a group called the Dallas Fort Worth Wireless Units Group. They met in a place I know you're familiar with, Cafe Brazil. Oh yes, quite room. And Tony Moro, woman, ran that. He organized war driving. Met Stumbler going around and mapping out all of the. Nice. And it was the first time I'd ever really felt, you know, here I am, thirty years old. First time I'd ever really felt community like that. It was something I should have recommend to everybody. Get involved as soon as you can. You know, find the community that embraces you. It took me a long, way too long. But then I, I felt that I'm like, I just love this. But I wasn't just a wireless guy, right? And then fast forward a few years later, and we meet because mm-hmm. I'm doing a bunch of work down in Austin. And as you said, AHA's there. Now, there were security groups up here already, and I, I had started exploring some of them. Our local DEF CON group, DC24, last week celebrated its 19th anniversary. Wow. Yeah, one of the oldest. It's also been rated the, one of the top five DEF CON groups in the world in, by the DEF CON magazine or whatever their group is. Yeah, wow. And we had, at the time, NASA, North American Information Security Group. That was a national organization that went belly up, so they rebranded here as North Texas Cybersecurity Group. But we had a number of different groups, but I really loved my time and the few times I went to AHA when I had the opportunity. Because their mantra was, participate or don't come. They really wanted everybody to be involved. They were, though, very adamant about it. (laughs) If you aren't, you're out. And not some trivial, look, I wrote a, a fun little Python script. It was, you did it some zero day, right? They were very focused on elite stuff. But they had these fire talks. And in fact, if you went over 10 minutes or whatever their limit was, they'd start throwing things at you, right? So it was... <laughs> <laughs> a subtle reminder you're running long. Right, right. But I really loved the format of this participation-focused short format for a number of reasons. One, because... We don't all have an hour's worth of stuff to talk about. You know, if you're just doing some research and you want to share a little bit or you're looking for some input on something you found or, you know, having a much more informal and where anybody can go, oh, yeah, I can get up and talk for five minutes. I can't go give a presentation for an hour, but I can get up and talk for five minutes. You know, so you just get a lot more varied viewpoints, I thought. And that didn't exist up here. And I really wish it had because then I could just go and yell crazy, stupid things from the peanut gallery in the back. (laughs) <laughs> and you don't have to drive all the way to Austin to do it. For it, but I mean, to, to, for here, to even, I wish it was here. Right, right, right. And I wouldn't have to run it. I'd just get to hang out and be the jerk in the back. Right. Instead of being the person now that's running the whole AV and doing the social media stuff and trying to pull people together. But yeah, so here, all that existed were those long format talks, hour, hour and a half. And you'd get a lot of repetition because it's the same people would be volunteering every month because not everybody wanted, you know, Felt they could do that. There's a lot of people in the community, and not a lot of them, not, not that same number, want to be the person who goes up and talks for an hour. Right. That's just that's not their the shtick for some people. Yeah, and and the community was smaller, and so you would get a lot of repeats and a lot of people the same thing. And if it was something you were interested in. If your thing is reverse engineering Chinese binary you know, elf binaries, and that's what they're talking about, great. If you're a software developer, that's probably gonna be a bad night. Yeah. <laughs> or for me, if it's PCI compliance talk. Yeah, not, yes. not so much. <laughs> but those things are necessary, but they don't talk to everyone, right? Right. And so the thought of you could just have short periods, and if this talk doesn't speak to you, it's five minutes, it's ten minutes, you know. And wait uh, a bit, you're done. Yeah. You know, yeah. And then something, something in that night is going to resonate. But then as we grew, 
we also outgrew venues. We also got kicked out of venues. We read rules in the very beginning, and our joke, and it's not really a joke, is that every rule has a story behind it. And the first rule of the AJ is don't hack the venue. And there, yeah, there's a story behind that. But we ended up in a Korean karaoke bar, and that's home now, family karaoke. Nice. And so we have the main room, the ballroom that is at a stage, and we do the talks there, and we have a whole bank of karaoke rooms on the side. And so we've made it a, basically a mini-con every month. So we have a Capture the Flag, we have Locksport, we have Libra Technica, which is kind of like a crypto party. We've added just recently hardware hacking with soldering, and then we have a room dedicated to furthering your career with resume reviews and practice mock interviews. So yeah, just turning it into a full-on con every month. Beautiful. So OWASP has a lot of chapters, right? And then this is not an OWASP chapter, but it's similar in that you have a community that reach, meets regularly, etc. What advice would you give someone who's trying to start or grow or get a community because they're in the situation you're in? Like I live in a place, I know there's other people that are into this same thing I'm into, but I don't know how to make it happen. How did, right. what, what advice would you give to sort of get For, it going? Yeah. <laughs> First, I would say, uh, be the support in the community. If there is something that already exists, no matter what it is, if it's not what clicks for you and you do have plans on something else, still get involved. Let the community know who you are and that you are there to support the community, first and foremost, I would say, because I did get involved in the other groups. And then when I announced DHA, because I wasn't getting what I wanted from them, pretty much universally the reaction was, we don't need another security group. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. (laughs) But it was a lot different time then as well. The community's changed from, I mean, you know, yeah. what it was like before. People think InfoSec's toxic, and I'm not saying we're perfect or anywhere near there, but from what it used to be. It's it's improved a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, I mean, even down to the groups here, we were reminiscing just last week at the 19th anniversary of DC24. We had all of the prior and current leadership. So Matt Hatt, who started it 19 years ago, wow. was there. Isaac, who ran it for the vast majority of time, and then Juno, she runs it now. And kind of giving histories and their reminiscence of it. And it was a, the groups, they admitted back then, they would they were like clicks. These two and four would hate 2,600, and this one would hate this one, and it was all competition. It's like, no, we're trying to accomplish the same thing. You know, we're, we're wanting to do cool stuff and share information. Oh. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so why, 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 the, why the, the hostility, right? It makes right. no sense. And I, I would like to think DHA brought some of that. It was maybe a catalyst to that, that change. I think we were already heading that way, but now you started to bring people from those different groups into the same group. Did you find that you got a, a wide mix of security industry types? I don't mean to put people in boxes, but you have some people are risk people. Some people are compliance people. Some people are pen testers. Some people are you know, software architects, whatever you are in the sort of overall giant bubble that is the security space. Did you get all sorts showing up or did you tailor to a particular sort or was it, how did that, like, how did you grow from the, and I guess, I guess I should also ask as a follow on, what, when was it in like DHA meeting one and what is it in DHA meeting last month in terms of size? So very beginning, we were at a place called Alan Wickers. We met in the boot room. And I think there was maybe 20 people. And given the size of AHA meetings at the time, that wasn't bad. And I figured that's what it would be. That would be DHA. Right. And I was fine with it because it was interesting talks from interesting people. And it did take a bit as far as what it takes to get it going. As somebody who's founding something like this, 
you've got to have a talk in your back pocket at all times because there are people that are just not going to talk. Right. And you've got to get some, get them going. And yeah, I was probably for at least the first eight to 10 months, I talked every time. But again, it's only a 10 minute talk. 10 minute talk, yeah. But somebody else would then join in and then we'd get more and Sort of have to have your radar on for the prior month to find those two or three interesting things you can do 10 minutes on exactly. just in case. Just in case. Yeah, or to at least see the discussion. Yeah. Oh, and we had some of them where, yeah, there wasn't nearly, wasn't nearly enough talks, and so we would just sit around and throw up topics and discuss them. Yeah. More like a 2600 format. But what really, I think, the crucial part of making that transition of growing is, in the beginning, I bought free wings and beer. <laughs> <laughs> Never hurts to feed it and give beverages to people. Exactly. And so, uh, yeah, it, it happened to be the night we met, first Wednesday, was a half price wings and pitcher night at the place. And so I'd buy stuff for each of the tables and people would come have a good time. And nice. uh, I know of one person that only came for that, but that's yeah. fine. <laughs> it was still a warm body in the room and the room looked yeah. more full because of and them. nothing attracts a crowd like a crowd. Yeah. Oh like, yeah. That's the thing is that once it snowballs, we ended up moving, they closed. I literally was driving the week before the meetup and drove by and saw plywood over the doors. It's like, Ooh, we got to find a new venue. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we moved to the next one, which was upstairs at a, a really old bar in Richardson. And I liked it. We were getting to the point where we were outgrowing that. And that was when I missed one of, in, in nine, nine, over nine years, I've missed two DHAs. Wow. And that was, the, it was at one of those where I was unavailable and Tanker Sec was unavailable. So it was just Whiskey Neon running it and there was an incident at the bar that involved hacking. Ah. Now I'm not saying it was our people. In fact, if I were a criminal, I would wait until the hacker groups comes in and provide cover. Provide cover that, you know, because we were brought back the next month and the owner just said, look, you have to, you have to guarantee me this doesn't happen again. And I'm like, you're running an open wireless network with unpatched Windows 95 point sales. I can't promise you anything. <laughs> oh my. <laughs> You're kind of lucky it hasn't happened already. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and probably one of the most difficult things you're ever going to deal with is venue. You know, a lot of venues charge right. at minimums. And if you're just starting out, that could be difficult to meet. You're going to maybe be taking that on. Is that something you want to do? How can you, you know, get a couple people, core people together and maybe share that load? We had a one-off at a place after that once we were looking for another place. And it just so happened, fell into my, my, my daughter's in the service industry and she was working at Family Karaoke and they were thinking about opening on Wednesdays. And so we slid in there and it's been home ever since. And it truly is. It, I mean, now, now it's almost, it's almost, uh, I don't know, they, they completely paved the road, lots of lighting, lots of parking before you'd go up on this like gravel road, dark oh, wow. in, in Koreatown, down, down in <laughs> Dallas. And I know on Goodnight Lane. And so I know people are pulling in there and there's like stray cats everywhere. I'm sure they're just like, what am I myself into? <laughs> nice. But yeah, so it started off just that little bit. Slowly grew. We had people from all different walks of life and security. I'd say our folks has, you've seen a lot more talks on hacking and red team. Red kind team of stuff. kind of stuff, yeah. Just because a lot of hackers are, you know, that's where, that's where they work. That's what they do. Right. But we have had many, many, many compliance talks. We've had, and because we also focus on 
the true aspect of hacking, which is nothing to do with technology or security or privacy. It's making things do what you want them to do, whether or not they were designed for that. And like life hacks or travel hacks or our current MC, Rainmaker, he does travel hacking talks. I mean, where he and his entire family fly like, to Easter Island for like $800 or something. It's like, yeah, he does this crazy stuff. Wow, that is nuts. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a hack though. It's, yeah. it's, and my view is we do push participate, but we don't say or don't come. We used to be a little more vocal, especially when Tanker was up there. It'd be like, first time you're, it's free, you sit back and you enjoy yourself, and then second time you're talking, and so we have people that never come back. <laughs> you get a lot of one-timers. Yeah, they were, they were afraid. But we encourage it, and the reason being, honestly, is, at least myself, I'm selfish. You know, you know something I don't, and I want to know all the things. So by you not sharing, I don't get to know that. Right. Oh, well, that's a huge thing. That was when I got started initially in the OWASP community was that I was a one-man band of an AppSec program at a place, and I couldn't talk shop with anybody. I was the shop, <laughs> right? So, like, OWASP for me was this haven where there's these other AppSec people that I could talk, oh, my goodness, you know, don't you hate it when this happens, or you could commiserate or hear yeah. war stories or whatever, but it was really fantastic to get that because you learn a ton, and you realize, like, wow, this they had a similar situation to me, but different enough. And I loved how they approached it. I'm going to try that at the day job like that. Right. I could carry that over. Well, there's some amazing technical stuff, but what has really affected me was, it's been the personal side. It, to me, I enjoy the other meetups. I still go to quite a few of them. They're a security meetup that I can talk shop. And then I know a lot of the people and their friends and it's collegial, uh, but at DHA, it's a sanctuary. It truly feels like a sanctuary. It's like all of a sudden I found my people. I found where I belong. I found basically it's what a, a church is for hackers. It's your sanctuary. <laughs> right. And that's been, and to see that other people feel that way too. And the lives that have been changed. People come out and basically said they wouldn't be here if they hadn't found DHA. Oh, wow. The number of jobs, careers that have been launched just by having a conversation with somebody. Did you ever entertain the idea of sponsorship at all, or have you stayed away from that? Was that a conscious decision, or was it just not feasible? I'm just yeah. curious about because you said like venues are interesting in terms of funding and food. If you're going to do that, is money potentially out of your pocket? Did you try to cushion that or do anything like that? To pass a hat? No. In recent years, we've started. A, we have a room that's merch, and so you can buy DHA branded merch and put that back in towards the, the AV and the different things that we have, but never sponsorship. I was for it. I wasn't completely against it. Tinker set, set band was we were absolutely against it. This will not, because it, they said it'll just taint everything. Right. Even if you don't allow them to do anything, say anything except maybe put their logo on the stage or something, it's like, nope, this is, we are out of our shop. This is, we, we pride ourselves on being non-professional. We are not professional. <laughs> it's not a professional organization, meetup, anything. And so you've walked away from work. This is not work. This is sanctuary. Nice. So you talked about sparking careers for people. What advice would you give people that are not, haven't been doing pen testing since the 90s, <laughs> right? That maybe have just gotten out of college or they're out of high school and this pen testing cybersecurity thing sounds interesting to them. What advice would you give them having to dealing with a community of all, I'm presuming all ages, as well as having the broad experience you've had. Oh, we've had all ages. We had a high school kid that used to come out every month. His parents 
would drive him from Tyler. Tyler? Tyler. That's a, okay. For people who aren't familiar with the Texas area, Tyler has got to be a three to four hour drive. I mean, that's a hike. Yeah. Wow. Because there was nothing there. Well, I, I've been and to Tyler. Want, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they wanted to support. His, his, yeah, because this was really his thing. Yeah. Uh, last I heard, he, 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 he got a scholarship for that. So there's a lot of, a lot of recommendations here. One that I always tell people is they say, how do I get into this? And I'm like, don't. And the reason I say don't is don't go, oh, I want to do this. I'm going to do a pen test or I'm going to do this in the info set. Bring something to info set. Bring a knowledge or talent. It doesn't have to be techno- technological. It could be business administration. That's something different than just being a security walker. Or like a great example of a non-technical skill is the ability to explain this nuanced, usually like one character, one binary off issue that you found that is really technically cool to you to someone who doesn't give a rat's, you know, what about it, right? Can I explain it in a simple, can I make a kindergartner understand what I'm doing? Yeah. Right. And if you can do that, like you actually have great value because I've worked with technical people that are incredibly brilliant, but if you can't talk incredibly brilliant with them, you kind of can't talk to them. Right. And unfortunately there's the not brilliance around us, (laughs) right? That we're going to have to talk to. And they're usually the boss man or somewhere in the, in the food chain of the organization that you need to have them understand what value you're providing that business. And if you can't explain that, you're kind of on the back foot. Yeah. And one of those capabilities, which is deficient across the industry that you can easily bring to it is take technical writing courses. Oh, yes. If you're a proficient writer, you're going to immediately be the favorite person on the team. QA is all the reports, which may not be what you want to do, but you don't have to do that forever. But it will differentiate you from all the people who can barely form a sentence. Again, technically brilliant people. Oh yeah. But yeah, definitely that bring, but bring something to folks that, you know, we don't secure things just for the sake of securing things. There's data in a database that needs to be secured. If you know the ins and outs of databases, you bring a DDA background to security, you're incredibly valuable because it takes very little additional security knowledge for you to be valuable on security databases. It takes a lot of database knowledge for me to, as a security wall from 1996 to bring value to security databases. Cause that's, it's a whole different world. Yeah, absolutely. That I don't have so, and, and it may seem overwhelming in that I've been doing this for so long and it's just why I'm continuing to do it. And if you're just getting in, just starting out, it's like, yeah, but you're native right now. You're native to cloud, you're native to all these things that now for me are a challenge, right? And I'm overwhelmed because I have all these decades of knowledge that the drawer is pretty full. <laughs> you can't stuff any more clothes in there. You know? right. So there's an advantage of coming in right now that I don't have, I mean, I have the experience, but you'll get that and you'll be in an environment that I just, I can't compete with. So do you have any kind of coaching or things you say to people who are about to do their 10 minutes of fame in front of DHA to help them understand that they don't need to be sort of, everyone has a different feeling about speaking in public, but do you have a way to help them rise above that if that's a problem for them? We should now with the new room with the career coaching, one of the individual uh, 38 parakeets, well, I don't think she's going by that anymore, but anyway, Elena. She's involved with the ISSA chapter here. One of her focuses is going to be, if you're going to attend it here, you're going to talk. And so it's not even on the stage. Now it's in a room with a couple people of getting people, because to me, DHA is like that jumping point to go into do real talks. Mm. But this is a 
like they, when you go into college and you don't meet the 101 requirements, you take the pre, right? Whatever. That's what you're, you're the prerequisite. <laughs> yeah, you're taking the thing to get you into the the very first course, get you up to speed, and we'll go on stage or stay off stage for new people. Say, do you want? And just to be there for them to look at you occasionally is all they need, you right? Know? And then to know that if you're struggling, you just throw something out there that you throw an easy softball for them to pick up and pick up with. and grow. Yeah, yeah. I had a, a good friend of mine one time say something that that really stuck with me about speaking. Because I, I, like anybody, I, I had concerns that I was going to go up and, and look stupid or not say the right thing or be wrong or whatever. I mean, everybody has those feelings. And he said to me, he said, stop. Think about it for a minute. One, you had the, the gumption to go submit a CFP and have an idea and pitch it to the conference team. And then two, a group, some group of people decided that your thing was interesting enough to be worth talking about. Three, you took the time to make a deck and prepare and whatever you need to do to be ready. And four, you're in front of a bunch of people that don't have the wherewithal to make that happen. You're already, like the fact that you got selected and you're up on stage, you've already won. You could do nothing. And you're ahead of most of the people in the audience who won't do that, right? right? And and yeah, I've made wonderful gaffes on stage. <laughs> yeah. Oh my, I've done that, right? But like you live through it and you find out that it's not terminal. Absolutely. <laughs> And you'll just get better. Oh, and we definitely encourage it again because we want to hear what everyone has to say. But also, if that's just not for you, well, showing up may not be for AHA, but for DHA, that's participation. Participation. Because if you think of the number of hackers, the number of makers, the number of security people, privacy people, or whatever that we have in the DFW area, that's got to be in the tens of thousands. No, it's, it, yeah, DFW is a giant place. For so, those who don't know Texas, DFW is a massive metropolitan area. I, I was it reading the other day. I think it was between the two, like seven and a half million or something. Like, well, yeah, 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 it's just, nuts. Every time I come up here, I'm reminded that I live in a very small town. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a hundred people out tonight at DHA. You are that small percentage. Yeah. Right. And honestly, so many of the uh, the companies that I respect in the area is security-focused consulting companies and even corporate, some corporate, fairly large name corporate, I mean, international corporate ones whose teams come to DHA. Oh, wow. They hire from DHA because in security, in anything, a lot of stuff comes out of trust, but in security, that's all we yeah, have it, is it, trust. It, trust is super fundamental to security. Right. Because, you know, if, if your job is to take a folder, put it in another drawer, take another folder, put it in another drawer, you don't have to have a high level of trust. Make sure that they do that, they do that. You're getting, especially like when we're doing the engagements, you're on a customer network. If you're doing your job right, you completely own it. You get access <laughs> anything or change anything in dynamic in that environment. You could shut them down. There has to be a hard, large amount of trust in that person. And who, what do you trust more? A piece of paper that came across your desk as a resume? Or that person you've seen give a talk in the local community and then you ask them a few questions, you had a little discussion and you know, they're not getting to the better and you trust who you know. Oh yeah. And yeah. And conversely, if you're an arrogant jerk and you come out, you know, those qualities don't come across necessarily on a, on, on a piece of paper. On a resume either. <laughs> yes. You can proactively filter those by going to yeah. DHA and getting some live feedback. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Nice. That's awesome. So what's the future for DHA? Is there changes? Are you happy where you're at? Are you steady state? What do you see 
going forward? Who knows? I mean, we were getting almost 150 people before the pandemic. So who knows what the future there is. The venue is going through changes. We had a, uh, the proprietor, we lost the proprietor. He was murdered recently. Oh, um, good Lord. But the family and the friends and everybody are going to keep the venue going. And they have some plans of maybe even extending it to where now you have karaoke rooms of taking out the walls into drop downs so that as we grow, the venue will still be viable. We can just pull up the drop downs and have overflow. Oh, nice. As well as we're going to be running the talks into all of the rooms. They have TVs, of course, because they're karaoke. We're going to be running the talks into every room. So you can have the overflow there. And, or if you want to go do lock sport, but you don't want to miss the talks. You want to be able to hear while you're yeah. trying to pop a lock. Yeah, so we'll have that. That's some growth possibilities. We had huge turnover with, uh, in leadership with Whiskey Amp moving on and Tinker moving. So that has changed and hopefully will continue to change continue to grow. That's my goal is I think the goal of anybody who works in the community or is especially is involved in the very beginning, you want to see it do well without you. And it sounds like then you're designing a community that doesn't have a single point of failure. So if Wirefall goes off and moves to Timbuktu, right, DHA can keep going because the other leaders of the group can take over and run it. Like you said, the one couple times you missed, you had somebody else there who was a known yep. leader of a community. Yeah, and that's the goal. My goal is to retire in a couple of years and go off into the sunset. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so uh, unless my side hustle takes off and then I'll just, I'm planning on moving to Puerto Rico, I'll just fly back every month. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Make it a good corporate trip. <laughs> yes, that's right. It's a business expense. Exactly. That's not me coming, coming to DHA. Yeah. <laughs> nice. So one of the things we do is I have this deck of cards from the base camp card company, free advertisement there. Oh, I like their card deck. I'm going to shuffle them, which you may or may not be able to hear. I'm doing my first remote podcast recording. Hopefully this is sounding okay, but I'm going to draw off the top and ask you a completely unrelated to anything question. Oh, this is a good one for you. Oh, no. oh yes. I love making you nervous. What is the weirdest food you've ever eaten? You're saying this because most of my Twitter feed is pictures of food. Food pics, yes. <laughs> yes, you make me hungry dangling on Twitter. I'm like, quit doing that. <laughs> my wife is half Puerto Rican and half Japanese, and we've gone to both islands, family there. And I would definitely say in Japan, there were some things I have no idea what I was eating. <laughs> um, were they good? Uh, not all of them. <laughs> I like overall, I really, really enjoy Japanese food. But there were some things that the, it was the, the, really the only time I had a real problem was that it was this like high-end retreat spa, hotel area. So everything was traditional, eating at the traditional tables and everything was traditional. And there were, I mean, it was like where they serve the fish where it moves, still moves. Oh, wow. You, know, you get it and things. And I just, um, yeah, it, a lot of it was, and it wasn't always the taste. It was just such a foreign texture. Interesting. A lot of the dishes. It wasn't so much the taste. There were some things that I don't care for, natto or nagi or some of these things, and a lot of that's the taste for, for smell. But no, a lot of things, it was just like, this is a very foreign feel in my mouth, you know? Yeah. So. I'm reminded of what my face must have looked like that one time you let me try the... Do you remember you had that, that seaweed salad at a restaurant, and I tried a piece, and oh, yeah. I found that I really don't like seaweed. <laughs> it is not for me. Yeah. God bless the people who like it. You're welcome to it, because... Man, that really didn't work for me. Okay. Yeah, well, that's what I like. But you did, yeah, and you've yeah. had it several times. But I remember I was like, "You eat that all the time. I want to try that." And I'm like, "Woo, nope." 
talk about mistakes. We had a, a party once, and my wife, her family used to have a Japanese restaurant, so she's very proficient at making sushi. And so we made platters of sushi, but also just other fare, like chips and salsa and regular snack things, right? It was probably like a, I don't know, Super Bowl party or something. Right. Somebody saw the chips, they saw the salsa, and they saw the guacamole, and so scoop it on up. Now that was wasabi. Oh boy. Yeah, you don't eat wasabi in the quantities you eat guacamole. guacamole. Oh my goodness. Yeah. But they have great sinuses, I imagine. Well, they're, they're, that might be the strangest thing I've had. When we were in Japan, it was wasabi ice cream. Oh, that would be weird. Because, yeah, you get the like nasal flush and brain freeze at the same time. It's, it's it's an assault on your head. So before we wrap up, is there any kind of advice or wisdom you'd like to impart to our listeners, particularly those I, I'm kind of like you, I'm a more, uh, well, what are they, that my title is distinguished engineer, right? Which means I have gray hair, right? <laughs> it's just a polite way to say it. Yeah. Is there something you'd like to give the sort of the next crop of cybersecurity, infosec, appsec, what have you people coming up to help them move forward in their career? To me, that's one of the most difficult questions I ever get asked just because my experience doesn't apply anymore. Yeah. During the dot-com boom, you just said security, and they go, money. Money, yeah. You know, <laughs> you know, and you didn't have to know a lot because it wasn't a lot that people knew. Right. And now you can get a PhD in cybersecurity. So that, to me, boggles my mind. And how do you navigate in that environment? I don't know for sure, but I do know what you're talking about here, to me, is the most important, is community. Get involved with your community. And I understand not all of us are the most socially graceful people on this earth. Um, And many have overwhelming anxiety. Get involved in some way that you possibly can. If even if it's just online, I don't know, that can be overwhelming for people as well. But whatever you can do, do. And if you can possibly go in person, the rewards are tenfold. I can't say you'll ever get over it but you might possibly get used to it. <laughs> right. Yeah, the, the other something that I've been asked that question too is kind of half why I asked you because I have a hard time answering it as well. And the one thing that I've always said too is understand the fundamentals. It, it surprises me that you get, and this is, I was talking to my son about this who's just now starting college in, in computer science, and I was realizing that I had to learn the fundamentals. Sort of back in the, the get off my lawn, early days of the internet, you kind of had to know what an IT was. You had to know how DNS worked because a lot of times it didn't work and you had to troubleshoot it just to get online and, you know, dial up. And and, and couldn't download the driver from your other computer. This was your computer. You had the computer, yes. So it was interesting because I think the people of our vintage, to use the nice word, had to grow up in this much less smoothly operating technology world. And I think that really helps us to, because we had to debug and fix stuff and just, I'll just restart the router and it's probably fine. Like now we had to go look at the ARP tables and what's going on. And so learning those fundamentals, that was the one, I, I taught a class at A&M and probably the thing I'll take to my grave as a happy moment was I was teaching, this is oh, super gonna date me. I was teaching an XML class when we thought XML was gonna save the world. That didn't quite pan out, sorry guys. But I was teaching a class on XML and I very specifically taught WC3 or the OASIS opinion of what XML is at a very fundamental level. And my thinking was that I told the class was, look, you're going to go out there 
and you're going to be hired by a Microsoft shop or an Oracle shop or a whoever shop, doesn't matter. And they're going to have their own little spin on what they think XML is. But if you learn the fundamentals, you only have to learn the delta between what's really an XML, the spec, and what Microsoft thinks XML or Oracle or who have you. And I had a student like two years out of my class email me and say, oh my goodness, Matt, I'm so glad you taught me these fundamentals because I get it. I understand and I can debug things that people who just learned the clicky next UI thing for the Microsoft Magic XML wizard didn't know what was going on behind the scenes, right? So learning those fundamentals, even though they're kind of boring and technical and I kind of like that in a sick way, I think those are very important. And you'll never know what, you will never know what is going to be important as well. Right. I went back when I got out of the military, I got a job at a sheriff's office. One, to take care of their radio networks, which I had the full experience and capability to do. But two, to take care of their virtual network, PC network. So I messed with computers early on, but it was really, you know, I wasn't proficient. And I went back to a, a community college and used my GI Bill. No, to nice. get an associates in computer network operations. Cause I'm like, I'm gonna be operating their network. Sounds perfect, we'll do that. Well, this is a time where there wasn't a security program, but there wasn't really even a network program. They took the, basically the programming course degree and added a few networking courses. Oh, right? because, <laughs> and basically they have a network. Now it's network operations, whatever. So I had courses in, you know, I was doing assembly and building a database in ASM with ASM and all these things that my day job, I had absolutely no need for any of this. It felt frustrating as I'm learning things like C++ and things that I, it's just, I'm not a developer. I manipulate things to make them do what I want, but I don't really build programs. And then I find security and I find pen testing. And do you know how useful going assembly is? Oh yeah. <laughs> About being able to reverse engineer things. Do you know, you know, being able to look at a language because you've learned C++ plus plus or something like that and understand what's going on, may not understand the language, but have right. a better idea of that. And and I brought networking to security. I understood network protocols, I understood all that sort of stuff, which helps there. So I didn't, it was not a security, we had no secured courses. There was zero secured courses in that entire thing. The only thing that came close was in one networking course. We had the capstone project and I made it about building a firewall. <laughs> yes, so. fundamental feature of security. Yeah. <laughs> Well, well, thank you. This has been fantastic. And I appreciate your time. And hopefully the audience has got something out of this and they can go off and start their own little DHA equivalent in whatever part of the world they're in. Absolutely. Please support what's out there. And if it's not there, sorry. Awesome. Thank you very much. Take care. It's Matt. I'd like to thank No Name Security for making it possible for me to record this episode. No Name is a complete and proactive API security platform that protects APIs in real time and detects vulnerabilities and misconfigurations before they can be exploited. NoName is an out-of-band solution that integrates with your existing infrastructure to provide deeper visibility and security. Please give them a look.